I hugged a red grouper and I was swimming backwards with a red grouper on my chest and I looked down and there's three bull sharks in that green water milling around trying to find the fish that I just shot because they can hear the gun go off, they can hear the red grouper making noises and they can smell the blood. Hello and welcome to the Key West Perspective podcast, a show about island life and the people who live it right here in Key West, Florida. If you love stories about creative places, learning lessons from quirky characters, and want to walk away from each week's episode with an adventurous outlook on life, no matter where you live, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carrie Bond of Bonfire Studio here in Key West, Florida. I'm a photographer, writer, and social media content producer. And through my work, I share stories about our little slice of paradise here in the Florida Keys. Today's episode is going to take us deep, deep beneath the surface of the Atlantic Ocean, that is. And if you can't already tell from that intro, it should also have you holding your breath. How long? Well, if you are anything like our guest, you will be holding it for up to four minutes. That is right. We are talking freediving and spearfishing here in Key West. Um, and you may wonder, what is freediving? Uh, many people have heard of scuba, diving with a tank of air, you know, going down with all the equipment. And, uh, and many people have heard of snorkeling. But freediving is different. It is reaching the depths of a scuba diver, but with only the, the equipment essentially of a snorkeler. As a practice, freediving goes back thousands of years, evidenced by the skeletons unearthed by archaeologists with what is referred to as exostosis. It's what we today call swimmer's ear. Basically, the bones of the inner ear start to grow over the ear canal as a way of protecting it from repeated on and off exposure to water over an extended period of time, uh, likely endured while diving for food and uh, possibly pearls and things that they could trade. And historical references of ancient Greeks show that they were known for their sponge diving. So across many cultures, diving uh, while just holding one's breath was common practice. The Greeks used a technique where they'd basically sink themselves to the bottom with a large stone, uh, something they referred to as a scandalopetra, a very interesting word. And, uh, and then they would get hauled back to the surface with a rope. So they would basically eliminate the effort and energy that it took to swim to the bottom and then swim back up. And today we see, you know, uh, reference to that in the fact that freedivers typically will use a weight belt to get to the bottom faster. And in more competitive freediving, there are um, shuttles that will shoot them back to the surface if they're going really deep and they're not going to be able to swim back up. But in Key West, freediving as a vocation saw its beginning with the famed Bahamian conch divers who retrieved the waterlogged loads of valuable goods anytime a passing ship wrecked while navigating the tricky waters here just off of the coast. They were lean, rugged, and most of all, fearless. And uh, according to author Maureen Ogle, I've been reading her book titled Key West History of an Island of Dreams. Uh, and she talks about how these divers, you know, they would be down there fetching goods, uh, basically in the same turmoiled waters that would be causing the ship to wreck in the first place. So it's not like they're out there on a really nice day. Uh, and they could easily get down into a dark hold trying to retrieve something. The ship could suddenly shift and all the cargo go flying and crush anyone in its way. And she goes on to say that, quote, locals claimed that the conchs possessed some sort of natural talent for diving, but what they really actually had was uh, simply more experience. And uh, conchs had worked as wreck divers for decades before Americans came to Key West. So this was something that had been going on for years. As a sport, however, freediving really started to get recognition in about 1913. Um, so a Greek sponge diver made headlines when he retrieved the sunken anchor of an Italian Navy ship. Uh, when he came up about three minutes later, he was reported to be half deaf from a perforated eardrum. But he made the news and received a whopping reward of five pounds. From there, more interest grew and changes in equipment made it easier. Um, for example, dive masks back in the day were traditionally round. And uh, this made it difficult for divers to equalize 
paralyzed their ears because they couldn't squeeze their nose through the round mask. And Alex Brilska writes in A Brief History of Diving that in an attempt to compensate for the pressure, divers would actually pour oil, if you can believe it, down their ear canals and down their throats just before descent uh, to equalize the pressure that way. And then they would spit out the oil when they got to the bottom. So that sounds like a lot of fun, right? Um, Then in 1938, a new mask was designed and it incorporated that molded nose section that we know of today. If you've ever been snorkeling or scuba diving, you, you know that. Um, that shape, which uh, this allowed the diver to squeeze their nostrils and um, push the the air out through um, the ear canal and solve the problem of being able to equalize their ears. It meant they could go deeper without the risk of rupturing an eardrum. Uh, And deeper they went. So in the 1960s, saw Bob Croft. He was a U.S. Navy dive instructor who developed a breath-holding technique called lung packing, and it's something divers still do to this day um, to increase their bottom time. uh, and they reached, he reached a personal best of 73 meters in 1968. Then uh, Jacques Mayol, a Frenchman, was the first person to break the 100-meter barrier. And 20 years later, uh, two Italian divers, Enzo Majorca and Angela Bandini, reached 101 and 107 meters, respectively. And the current record uh, now is held by Tanya Streeter. She's a competitive female freediver, um, who I found out actually after the interview that, um, that my guest had actually met here in Key West, so that was kind of fun. Um, but she consistently outdives the men in several categories, including her no limits dive to 160 meters achieved in 2003, and it has yet to be broken uh, here in 2018. But uh, but that's the world of competitive free diving. So while it's impressive, it does not represent the majority of recreational divers and spear fishermen. Um, free diving, as it's done here in the Keys, is really more a pursuit of depth and time because it affects what kind of fish and how many that you'll actually be able to come up with. And that leads me into talking about spearfishing. And that's sort of how that comes into the equation as it relates to freediving. So you might be wondering, what is what is spearfishing? Well, just like it sounds, it's a process of catching fish, not with what we typically think of, a rod, a reel, line, bait, all that. Um, No, there's none of that. Spearfishing, you literally go down, you dive down, you find the fish you want, and you stalk it, try to hunt it down. And when you get a good shot, you literally shoot it with a spear. And you might uh, be asking, well, what does really spearfishing have to do with the sport of freediving? Well, while you can certainly tank dive and spearfish at the same time, and people certainly do, traditionally, most spearfishermen are freedivers first. So um, the two kind of go hand in hand. And spearfishing in Key West, it's primarily done for just personal use. There's not a lot of commercial spearfishing outfits. Um, technically, it, it just it's a very manually intensive sport. So um it tends to not be, you know, from a commercial standpoint, uh, it's probably not a very high return on investment uh, for the amount of people you need and the amount of time that it takes. Um, so it's, you know, it's regular guys, regular gals, they go out, they catch their limit of whatever is in season, and then bring it home to eat. And it's kind of interesting, you know, sport fishermen, they kind of get a good long fight. They get a triumphant photo as their reward at the end of the day. uh, And then they release their catch back to the ocean. Spear fishermen, instead, they are literally going down and picking out their fish that they want. They have to kind of outsmart it. And if they're lucky, then their reward is a tasty coconut crusted grouper filet on their table that night. And that's my favorite. So if you ever down in Key West, you get a grouper, I will take a coconut crusted grouper filet any day of the week. (laughs) Um, But the tricky part is, you know, unlike traditional fishing where you know you catch a fish it comes up maybe it's too small and you can throw it back spear fishermen they've only got one chance to kind of get this right and it can be really tough underwater with the distortion of the water to determine a fish's exact size now obviously the more experienced divers they can tell more easily but I've gotten into conversations with them and you know when it's sort of a close call and a fish is right on the cusp and it's kind of hard to tell if they're over the limit or or under the limit if, if it's a maximum size requirement um you know regardless of how good the shot is it's it's painful they have to just kind of watch this the fish swim away um so it's you know it's very studious it's very deliberate and freedivers are kind of a, a different breed you know they talk a lot about you know feeling sort of one with the sea kind of being that stranger in another world because they're literally down there with all of the wildlife and it's quiet there's no bubbles there's no equipment um and so that gives them kind of a sense of stewardship if you would uh 
sort of about the ocean. And, you know, like the Bahamian conch uh, shipwreck divers and those Greek spongers, uh, definitely a cross between fearlessness and respect. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of those fearless spear fishermen of Key West, Robert Bond. Now, if you're thinking, wait, Bond, any relation? Well, yes, Rob also happens to be my husband, but that is not why I have him on. Um, the guy has been spearfishing and freediving since he was a kid and brought those skills to Key West in 2010. So together, we're going to go through everything from gear to types of spear guns, what to expect when you know going for the first time here in Key West. Uh, also, you're going to get some hair-raising tales of close encounters with everything from tangled lines, talking about you know shallow water blackout, and you know how you'd never guess, but even a grouper can put you in a life or death situation if you're not careful. Uh, and as you heard in the intro, you can never be too careful when you are no longer at the top of the food chain and you've got something uh, that the resident sharks decide that they want to eat instead. <laughs> uh, but Rob is no stranger to sharks. In 2011 and 2012, he was part of the elite shark diving team that protected famed endurance swimmer Diana Nyad during her open water crossings from Cuba to Key West. Uh, and this alongside Australian shark expert Luke Tipple, known for his award-winning work with the Discovery Channel. And in 2013, uh, Rob did the same for Australian swimmer Chloe McCardle when she made her unsuccessful attempt at that same stretch of ocean. This uh, was along dive consultant and shark team logistics manager Andy Olday, who hails from the UK and used to live here in Key West as well and is a good friend of ours. Um, but while Rob's known more for his role here in spearfishing education as a personal dive guide, uh, more so than for competition, he did also win first place in the Key West Spearfishing Tournament for the largest hogfish. And he continues to volunteer every year with events such as the annual swim around Key West and always donates fish to St. Mary Star of the Sea Soup Kitchen Food Drive every Thanksgiving, which helps um, feed local families in need. So without further ado, I hope you'll enjoy this interview with Robert Bond, local spear fisherman and freediver and my husband. So enjoy the interview. Hello, Rob. Hello. I wanted to have him on the show because Rob, you've been, how long have you been spearfishing? Been spearfishing for about 22 years. So that's quite a long time. And it's funny, like if we think back to even like when we first met going out on one of our first dates, we go out in this tiny little, was that a John boat? It was that a we John boat, yeah. <laughs> an aluminum John boat. An aluminum John boat. And we're, we're both originally from the Tampa area, Tampa Bay uh, in here in Florida. And uh, so we go out in this little tiny boat and um, I don't know, we were what, five miles offshore? More like 12 miles off. I don't think I knew enough to be afraid at that point. (laughs) It was just, if something was to happen, aluminum boats don't really float very well. (laughs) Was it even your boat? uh, No, it was my dad's boat. (laughs) So we go out in this this John boat, and uh, one of our first days, actually one of my really good friends, Nicole, came with us, and uh, we caught a blowfish. (laughs) And a what what else was I, I remember so I remember this like this is one of my first impressions and first memories and uh, so he's like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna go down and get some fish yeah so we brought fishing rods yeah and a mask and snorkel and a, a weight belt what was the other thing and some fins pole spear yeah pole spear not even a spear gun no just yeah. a pole spear like a caveman like a like a island caveman (laughs) anyway so uh yeah so he's like all right i'm very primitive yeah so he's like all right i'm gonna go get some fish and uh so off he goes over the side no tank no gear of any kind just this stick with three spikes on it and uh my friend and i are looking at each other like what in the world and i don't know you were gone like a minute and a half and uh, I'll be danged if he doesn't come up and there's a fish on the end of this mm-hmm. primitive pole spear. Yeah. And I was like, wow. A nice big sheephead. And yeah, I remember the that. The biggest thing I found, there was only grunt and little hogfish and a really nice sheephead. You probably could have come up with a minnow and I probably would have <laughs> still been impressed. <laughs> um, so yeah, so needless to say, I've um, been spearfishing for a long time. And then, um, so what would you say, because you, you know, obviously we both grew up in the Tampa area and then moved to Key West, been here a little over n- almost nine years now. What would you say is the biggest difference between spearfishing in like the Bay Area and the Gulf and then having both the Gulf and the uh, Atlantic here? Hmm. Uh, the Gulf, you have to go pretty far out for it to get deeper. 
So it was really nice to be able to come right off of Key West and be in 60 to 90 feet of water, which was super surprising. And the water, the visibility was incredible. And you just, you get better and better because you can reach depths that you can't see. If you're, you're trying to spearfish in Tampa Bay and it's dirty, mm-hmm. it's kind of spooky. Like if you're a kid and you're trying to learn to go down 60 feet, but you can't see the bottom. Oh, that's true. So you just start drifting and you're swimming and you're swimming and swimming. And a 30, 40 seconds go by and a, a very eerie wreck shows up in the middle of nowhere and it's kind of wild. As someone who doesn't spearfish or free dive, that would scare me anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what's going to show up. But I can't up. imagine being down there and then not being able to see. Well, now we just swim at the surface and you can see everything down almost 90 feet. Mm-hmm. And then you can just kind of plan your dive and just get so much better as a as a free diver and then tank diving we have tons of wrecks that you can choose from so it really does make you uh, just a better spear fisherman altogether do you think that it's harder to get certain kinds of fish at, like on in certain areas like do you go to certain spots to get certain kinds of fish or how do you plan that out if you're like okay i want to go and shoot a hogfish like right yeah i take i take friends friends out and i've been invited on people's boats to use my i've got a gps full of numbers so how did like when you're okay so you have like gps does each gps number relate to a certain kind of fish you want to get or is it like are there all kinds of fish everywhere no yeah there there are definitely areas that have more of one type of fish than the than another if you go out to the reef you're probably not going to see a bunch of hogfish swimming around of any size there'd be some little ones here really tropical fish once in a while you'll get a couple but if you really want to hogfish, you go in the coral head areas where the sponges are and the seagrass it's just kind of in the sand you know they, it depends on what they eat and so you'd be surprised that the fish that you could find in eight to ten feet of water mm-hmm. would be more of a of a trophy or a prize that you would find in then you'd find it 60 feet. So that, that seems counterintuitive because you would think that if you're going to go deeper and to a more difficult place to dive that you're going to find, I don't know, quote unquote, better fish. But that's not always the case. Not always the case. Yeah, there's some parts on the reef that are only little jacks and tangs and parrot fish. And those are the fish that you really don't shoot. You can't shoot. They're, those orna- the ones they're you ornamental like, fish. Yeah, you want to look at them. And yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, they're pretty. Yeah. Um, and you don't shoot those, right? No, don't shoot those. Yeah. So the table fare fish are usually in the grouper and the hogfish and the snapper or sometimes in the dirty water and you got to kind of put up with it. Dirty water. Like explain that for somebody who's maybe never been down here is just going to come down and, and like spearfish for the first time. What, what is something that they would look out for or want to watch out for? Well, down here, you've got the Gulf of Mexico into the Atlantic, depending on which way the current's going and the wind and and uh, the tide. So if the Gulf water is this greener or the browner color and you get a certain tide, it does influence the blue water. It comes out into your spots if you're out in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So certain times of the day, certain spots will get dirtier, you know, and you just... And when you, you say dirtier, you mean like less visibility. A different color, less, yeah, more, less visibility, more stuff floating around in it. You got seagrass and and just certain things floating around it that you that are not um what you want not desirable right yeah so you get closer the hogfish and the lobster even are more of a gulf type uh animal that you'd be hunting in those areas it is shallower water so it does get churned up a lot easier than something that would be out offshore where you get the the gulf stream mm-hmm. influence which is the nice blue bahama water that caribbean water that's out in comes the Atlantic. In and it's a deeper, yeah, it's deeper. Mm-hmm. So that's the reef water that you see, and that comes in and goes out just like a tide. Mm-hmm. And it can it can sweep in, can be completely clear and beautiful, and you can shoot the fish that you're looking for. Now, is that something that you can plan for? Like if somebody's, uh, you know, I want to go out on a Wednesday afternoon, can they look at a, a chart no. or a something that they would be like, all right, today's the day to go? No, that's a huge misconception. Like it's, you have to get a reef report or a visibility report or watch somebody's GoPro or Facebook post. You know, that's what I did the other day. Somebody posted a picture of the van or a video of the Vandenberg and it was crystal clear. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it's really pretty. Well, I'd been out two days before that and it was not clear mm-hmm. at all. 
So today when I went spearfishing, I knew that it was going to be clear because of the video that I saw late ye- late yesterday. It was an evening trip. And I thought, well, it's a better chance of it being clear. So that's where we went. So it's a lot of like relying on the community and everybody kind of being connected. And of course, everybody's on social media these days. I can, I can actually relate to that because, um, you know, obviously having done a lot of social media for the like tourism industry down here, it's funny because, you know, you'd find um, maybe a cool video, like you're saying, like it's crystal clear and you want to post it. And then, but you realize like, oh, that was from two weeks ago and it's not really an accurate mm-hmm. depiction of what's going on in the moment. So that's kind of a no-no. Right. Yeah. It changes every day. <laughs> or you'd want to at least say like this was filmed or this was taken, you know, with my GoPro last Saturday or something right. like that. So people know. Yeah. People think that on oh, the Keys and the Caribbean, it's, it's beautiful water. It looks like Fiji mm-hmm. or the Bahamas or, or something. You and know, it can. It can, but you really have to plan your trip you go out and you basically you're just looking for blue water. Like I, I can get you some fish as long as we find visibility because we're spearfishing. You got to be able to see. Yeah. And that's that's a really like for me, that's really cool and interesting that there's this whole other subset of fishermen that don't even go regular fishing. What do you like? What? How do you term that? Like just traditional rod and fish, reel. Rod and reel. Yeah. Like there's a whole cult following of fishermen who I mean, I remember when our friend Andy got his boat and like he was getting it customized. Remember that? And he, they were like, how many pole holders do you want? And he's, he's strictly a spear fisherman. And he, he was like, none. And they're like, well, it comes with four. He's like, okay, I guess yeah, I'll take Not four. only did he customize his boat, he, now he builds boats now. Like he owns his own mold. Yeah. He got so and frustrated not being able to get the perfect boat yeah. that he started customizing his yeah. own boat. Like that. He made a pelagic hybrid. That just goes to show you like how intense this sort of group of people are that like i'm not getting the boat that i need to go spearfishing yeah, i need so a I'm boat co- that is good on fuel it doesn't get you wet when it's rough and you can get in and out of easily and can carry a lot of weight just in case you are tank diving and there's no pole holders and there's no rod holders <laughs> is it pole holders or rod holders it's a rod rod yeah. so if i say pole is that wrong no you probably from up north <laughs> i'm definitely not from up north <laughs> <laughs> okay so i wanted to kind of talk a little bit about uh you know free diving obviously a lot of spear fishermen are also free divers you yourself being one kind of the difference between free diving while spear fishing and tank diving the amount of gear you have to bring with you it's so much easier to just bring a mask snorkel fins gloves and a weight belt and a gun and just go out and silently go out and just hunt and stalk and just relax and it does have a relaxing almost what am I trying to say not like yoga but like therapeutic yeah very therapeutic quality to it mm-hmm. tank diving can do that too as well but when you're trying to spear fish and mix tank diving together you kind of gotta it's a rushed thing because you're on a time limit mm-hmm. when you can hold your breath you go down there and you're just on your breath hold time and you're just kind of relaxing and flowing going with the going with the flow tank diving you have to always be watching your depth and your air and you can't go to you can't come up too fast and it's just you got to watch your buddy and there's things around and if you shoot a fish and there's sharks following you you can't get away easily Mm -hmm. you have to just sit there and watch the shark or or whatever and just make sure that your surroundings you watch your surroundings at all times so it sounds like with tank diving you've just got a lot more to deal with a lot more kind of logistics and things to be concerned with. Right. So I would think a lot of people think that, you know, tank, uh, well, if they're certified for scuba diving, you know, shouldn't be that much harder to take a spear gun with them and just go spear fishing. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Yeah. Some people think that it's actually certain parts of the world. You can't spear fish on tanks. Some <laughs> people consider it cheating, even though some fish don't even come close to you when you're blowing bubbles. Mm-hmm. You know, you're blowing all those bubbles and making all this noise and you got all this gear and everything. And some fish are like, nope, not, That's getting, fine. not so getting near that guy. I'm curious why they would think it's cheating, though, because it seems like if you if you have no gear on, you can be quieter. You know, you kind of make a smaller, not footprint, but, you, you know, a, a smaller silhouette um, in the water. And that would be harder for them right. to detect. Well, they think that anybody can do it. Anybody mm-hmm. can put on a tank and breathe air and go down and shoot a big fish. And and come up with it, and that's not a prize, but it is. There's a there's a lot of skill that goes into spearfishing on 
on scuba and free diving. Mm-hmm. You know, you have shallow water blackout that happens if you don't know what you're doing. You can get to the surface and your mind just shuts down. Is that with free diving or with free diving? With free diving, yeah, and that's that's your main concern. Your health concern is shallow water blackout or getting hung in something and not having not having a knife to be able to get out of something or not being aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. But it really can be a safer way to learn. And I, I think everybody should learn how to free dive before you can learn how to scuba dive. Mm-hmm. How yeah. long, how long can you uh, hold your breath? Do you know what your kind of, what is that time your limit bottom, is? Your bottom time or your breath hold. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing stuff in the pool, you can do pool exercises. You can get in a large pool and have somebody watch you with a timing device or a watch. And you're going to swim for about a half hour. You go down, fins on and you just swim back and forth in the pool until you can't hold your breath any longer and you come up and then you only breathe for 15 seconds and then you go back underwater again and you're underwater for a minute and you come back up and you breathe for 10 or 15 seconds and you go back under so i mean that and that gives you enough rest and you're clearing all the co2 out of your system in that little bit of time and it gets your body working on a higher level of co2 Hmm. so at the end of doing those kind of exercises you can double your breath hold so if and you just sat here and tried to hold your breath and you could do it for a minute, you could easily hold it for two, two and a half minutes just by doing, just by swimming in the pool. Just by doing some well, exercise. think about it. Yeah. In a half hour, you'd be underwater 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. So in a half hour, you can be like, well, I held my breath for 20, 25 minutes. I don't, mm-hmm. And you only really breathed for five minutes mm-hmm. out of the whole time. So you were swimming for 25 minutes. It's really weird how it works. That's interesting. And it, is that conditioning? Does that build up because of the pressure of the water, or what? It, like no, what it, no, it's your it's your body getting used to the higher levels of CO two. So could you do those kinds of practices? Just like say somebody was going to come down for a week and they they know they're going to be spearfishing or free diving, and is that something that they could practice out of the water? You can practice in your car. You know, just <laughs> we don't recommend <laughs> driving down the interstate holding your breath and seeing how long. Right, I mean, you can you can pretty much if you knew if you had a watch on and you were gonna do it, you can actually do it. You can do it walking. You mm-hmm. can walk a certain distance, walk back and forth at the beach, and and hold your breath while and you're hold walking. your breath while you're walking. Do something, some sort of activity, so your body gets used to swimming and doing activity and be able to hold your breath at the same time. Yeah. So basically, conditioning like anything, any other sport you were gonna do, it just happens that in free diving the skill level is directly tied into how long you can hold your breath. And you're mainly just swimming against the current. There's a there's a current there and you're swimming against it and you got to be able to not swim too hard. Cuz you'll not use swim up, too soft. Use up your energy. <laughs> yeah, too soft and you won't go anywhere. You'll just be drifting with the, with the current. Right, cuz the current's basically pushing you it's back pushing and you you're away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're trying to stay on the bottom or follow a fish and the fish can easily swim against the current. They're on the bottom just kicking, you know, just going to Swim back and forth, and you're good. They're gone by the time you can catch up on them. If you swim too hard, your heart rate comes up, and now you can't hold your breath. Now you can't hold your breath as long. Right. Yeah. Which I guess that somebody would argue, well, that would be where the tanks would come in handy. But you just basically go back to the surface, go breath. back down. Start again. You can cut the fish off at the surface and get a different angle on it on tanks. Mm-hmm. The fish, once they run, they're gone. How they, do you, they see you, with that in mind, like how do you, when you're down there, and let's say you spot, um, I don't know what's a what's a good kind of fish you would spot and be like, ooh, I How want about that. A grouper. Okay, you spot a grouper, and you're like, all right, I'm running out of air, so you go back to the surface. Like, how do you spot that grouper again? Like, no. Hopefully, that he's the there. water's clear enough to keep your eye on him. And uh, a lot of times, yeah, if the, if the grouper is running, he's going to hole up, which means he just picks his favorite coral head or something he feels like he can he's be gonna safe. Hide. He's gonna hide. And then if you keep an eye on them, he'll poke his face out. Because they're pretty smart. They're Yeah, grouper are really smart. Um, you watch him from the surface and you see his head poke out and he'll look at you. And he can see you, you know, 60, sometimes 90 feet above. That's Which, really wild. So it's kind of that funny that, see you. that the clear water almost works against it you. It does sometimes. work against you. Mm-hmm. It, it does definitely work against you. And if it's super clear, the fish can run away from you. You just got to be a little bit better. But it's just so much nice. It makes everything so much nicer when the water's clear, <laughs> clear and calm. Yeah, calm and that's me. I don't. I only go out when it's really calm. Um, like today, you you went out today and uh, was not so calm. We had a little storm come through and it 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 definitely stirred it up. I knew it was going to be that way, but it was fine. The water was clear. It was a little rough, but I, we didn't mind. Yeah, if I was out there, I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready to go back in. Yeah, because <laughs> we don't anchor. 
we just drift around. Yeah, I will say that is fun though. Like when I do go out with the boys, I um, will just drive the boat around in circles and keep an eye on you guys. And you're usually towing your uh, float line. Mm-hmm. So thing. you can see me pretty easy. So I can see you. Some of the other guys use reels. Mm-hmm. But if everybody's using reels, all you can see is our little snorkel and our. That's kind of hard to keep track it's of. It's hard to keep track of people. And and you don't really have to buddy dive like you do with scuba so much. You I do. mean, you should, but. You do. You mm-hmm. have a one up, one down. Like you should be within eye, sh- you know, be able to see your buddy go down, make sure he makes it to the surface. So he does, you know, if he does mm-hmm. a really deep dive, then he would be a better chance of, a, of something going wrong. When he gets to the surface, make sure he gets up, takes his breath, everything's okay. Then you get to go down and chase your fish or so he's pointing a, at something. Mm-hmm. You teamwork, you know, as you're coming up, you might see something and he points at it and then you go, hey, what was that? Oh, there's a grouper in that rock. Mm-hmm. Which rock was it? It's that one. That's, you know. That is kind of cool that you can literally point out the fish that you want or pinpoint the fish that you want as opposed to when you're fishing. running real fishing. And, you know, you're just sort of, you throw it in there, you throw your bait in there and you wait hope. wait for something to come along as opposed to spearfishing and you're going down and, and literally going you I'm, I'm coming after yeah, you i want that fish i want that fish and uh do they ever like like give you the eyes back and they're like i know you're coming for me and then they they like do they can they sense when you're after them or yeah. are they pretty stupid mutton snapper and grouper are smart mm-hmm. a mutton snapper once they turn and start swimming away from you they don't really come back like, he'll stay a distance where it's not worth even trying to shoot him at a certain time. Like, he'll keep 30 feet away from you the whole time. And he swims back and forth, and every time he swims, he's looking back at you. <laughs> and like, looking over his shoulder? Looking over his shoulder, making sure you're there, and you go one way, and he goes the other way. And They play this little cat and mouse game with the mutton snapper. They, they're they pretty tough to shoot. And grouper just run. They, you know, they make a noise. Yeah, I've, I've heard that... Uh, that- they you, make a noise, and you'll hear that on the rig. What was that? No, it was a grouper or something kind of shooting from rock to rock. Like He didn't feel safe in that rock. He saw you above him. He shoots to the other rock, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what gives him away sometimes. You can hear him go, what was that? And you look, and then you follow him to his next rock, and if he doesn't come out the other end, you know he's in there because grouper really don't come out in the open very much. You know, you got to hunt for him. It's a hard fish to shoot. Mm-hmm. Speaking of grouper hiding under rocks, um, tell that story about uh, the time that you were going after. Was it a Goliath grouper? Was it, was it a Goliath? No, no, no. It was no. Ring- we it, were lobstering. Yeah, me tell that story. Buddy, me and my buddy Captain Jeremy, we were, man, we were, we've been free diving and spearfishing for a long time. I've known him since we were eight years old. And I got invited up to Marathon. He said, hey, come, come help me catch some lobster. I'm like, okay. So I get on the boat and I'm, it was really shallow and I just got done free diving really deep so I felt like I could hold my breath forever so I was down there maybe eight feet and Jeremy's looking at me I'm getting some lobster well as I'm looking for lobster I saw a red grouper swim into a hole and he was a big red grouper he was I don't know maybe 20 something almost 30 inches long he was a big big fat red grouper I didn't have anything with me I had a net <laughs> and a stick and I didn't have any kind of spear gun. You went or down with no, no. No, we were lobstering. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I had a stick and a net, and I was like, I'm gonna catch this thing in the net, but the hole was too big. So I decided to reach up there in the hole because there was one in and one out. So I knew he was in there. So I could reach my arms under in the hole, and I felt the grouper, and he started drumming. They have that. They go boom, 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 boom. You know, they make a, a crazy drumming noise, and I could feel the slippery of his scales and stuff and I, you know, I felt him get his belly get hard he swelled up and I could feel him and I got his tail over here so and you I can't his, see him at this point I, no, I, no I'm, I got my hands in I got two hands in two holes so I got <laughs> a tail on this side and a head on this side and I could feel his mouth and he's just sitting there and he's he's stuck up against the top of the rock I'm like I got him so is this he, like a little cave I'm like it's like a little cave okay. yeah it's like I don't even know how to, it's like playing cat and mouse, but yeah, it's like reaching in one side of a pipe mm-hmm. and then feeling a fish in there and like, oh, he's in the pipe. So, and you don't want him to run out the other side. Yeah. So I blocked it with both my hands and he's big. I got my hands spread out pretty wide because he's 30 inches is a pretty big fish. Mm-hmm. So I reach up and I feel his lips and I feel his jaw and I looked at the hole and I, I went, I went back up and I go, Jeremy, there's a big red grouper in that hole. I'm going to go get him. He's like, with what? I'm not going to rip him out of with my hands. He's like, all right. So he stayed right there with me. I go, make sure I don't, you know, get hung in this rock or whatever. So I go down. I feel the grouper's mouth again, and he's real big. I got gloves on. So I stick my hand in his gills, grouper's gill, 
their gills have rakers in them. They have really sharp, I don't know how to explain them, bones? Mm-hmm. Sharp gill rakers. They're just, parts of their gills are really super sharp. So you stick your... Are they like spiky? Or they're they, spiky, uh-huh. super spiky and super sharp, and they're slicey and everything. And so slicey. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they're basically teeth, really sharp gill teeth. So I reached up in there, and it was really stupid. So... <laughs> it I was reached really a, stupid. I, yeah, I reach my. <laughs> you know the stories. You know the story is going well, but it, <laughs> this gets really stupid. Reached now. <laughs> it, reached up in his gills, reached in his mouth, and then like poked his tail with my other hand, trying to yank him and try to get him to go forward out of the hole. Well, instead of moving out of the hole, he swelled up and he locked his gills. Basically, they can flare their gills out and get stuck in the rock, kind of like when you're fishing mm-hmm. and you catch a group of like, oh, it's a big fish, and they go into a rock and they lock themselves in the rock. Well, he locked my hand Ooh. in the hole. And and you're not on tank. I'm not on tank. I'm free diving. And how deep are you at this point? Eight feet. <laughs> you're in eight feet. I could literally stick my hand up and almost touch Jeremy. I'm like, no, help. <laughs> so I'm down there. And by the time I realized I couldn't get my hand out, I look up at Jeremy and he's like, yeah, come on, get him. And But he doesn't realize I'm drowning. <laughs> Basically, I'm like, okay, I just got done diving, you know, 90 feet. And now I'm, I feel like I'm about to drown in eight feet because this fish has me locked in this rock. So I, I took my other hand and I started slamming uh, like with my fist on my hand to get it out of the rock as like a hammer, like a sledgehammer. So I hit it like three or four times and my hand came out of the grouper's gill plates, bleeding. Because <laughs> it, it, it just ripped my glove. I'm glad glo- you were bleeding because that was probably yeah, a really stupid thing. It ripped thing. my glove apart. My hand's bleeding, but I got it out, came up and got a breath. And Jeremy goes, were you stuck? I was like, yeah, I was, pre- I was pretty stuck. He's like, well, I was wondering what you were doing down there. You were down there for a while. I was like, yeah, I was stuck in there, man. You didn't come save me or anything? I was like, I don't know what you were doing. So, <laughs> Like, you probably shouldn't be trying to, you know, pull a fish right. out of its hole. But I, I, but then I got smart and took the stick and the net and then just poked him in the butt and he swam into the net. And you did get him. I did get him. So you he, didn't break, he didn't break the net. I got my groover. I just poked him in the butt and he shot out into the net. And we ate him. So, yeah, I caught him like a lobster. Yeah, he was big. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I remember. I I vague, it's been a while since I've heard that story, but um, I remember when you told me. I was like, so seriously, you almost just drowned and like. Right, I could almost touch the. I could almost stand up. Yeah, kids, don't try this at home. Right, is yeah. the moral of that story. Yeah, the grouper will lock you in a hole. Yeah. With their face. But you, like you said, they're hard to shoot. So uh, I guess red, I guess I guess red, I red grouper actually like hogfish. They're the, not oh, smart. Yeah. Yeah, they think they're hidden. Well, this nope. one was, apparently. This one was He smart. was smarter than you. Most of the time, the red grouper will hide behind a stick or a <laughs> little... Uh, I mean, there would be a big red grouper and he'll hide behind something the size of a beer can. <laughs> and he's like, you or don't like, see me. Yeah, you can't see me. <laughs> I can see you, but you can't see me. Yeah, they're really stupid. <laughs> and and kind of like a hogfish, they do really dumb things. So um, let's kind of go into... I know you've talked a little bit about some of the gear that uh, gets used for, you know, lobstering and some of the other things. And I just, I'm curious, is there anything, is there sort of a uh, essentials list of items that somebody would need before they go spearfishing for the first time or, uh, and, or if you also want to kind of tie into that, if somebody has been accustomed to say spearfishing uh, another either tropical destination or maybe like we were like in Tampa, is there something different that they would need to make sure they had when they come to Key West? To start off, if you go to a dive shop and you go, I need free diving gear, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to pull out a set of fins that are longer and they don't have straps or anything on the back. You have to make them fit your foot. You're going to wear a, a neoprene sock and they're just going to be a long, it's called, they're called long blade fins or long fins. So you had you, yours for a long time. Yeah, you you bought me those set of fins. <laughs> that was like <laughs> I was like my first gift from you was a set of Cressy two thousands. Uh, they're expensive. Yeah, we were one hundred and forty dollars back then. I mean, back then we were what nineteen something yeah. like that. It was yeah, like twenty years old. I've had them for sixteen years. Yeah, yeah, a long time. They finally cracked. Yep, they got a crack. Anyway, in finally. I I digress. But so anyway. yeah, I got the long blades, and um, you get the long blades, and they're going. Know what you need now is a low volume mask, and you're like, what's a low volume mask? It's just Usually a scuba diving mask is clear with colors on it. It's a bigger mask. It's got a big lens. I feel like your spearfishing masks, when I see you, like they're they're more, I don't know, low profile. They're little. They're low profile. They're made to give you tunnel vision kind of. It's, it's set closer to your face. So it does give you a different view. The silicone is black. 
on it. So it cuts down the glare, almost like a hat or sunglasses would. Mm-hmm. And um, when you go to get fitted for a mask, especially a, a free diving mask, you're going to want to not have stubble. If you're a man and you have stubble on your lip, it will make your mask leak. So not really a problem that uh, the ladies are going to have. No, usually not. No, so. <laughs> and uh, Ladies, so. make sure you shave your lip. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and... And then they're going to say, okay, you know that big snorkel you were using flying at the surface? And we weren't really underwater. It had a big mechanism on top. You don't want that either. You're going to want to be kind of streamlined. So you're going to get this J snorkel. It's going to look like something that was from the 60s or 70s. Just a real simple piece of rubber. Just basically a tube. uh, Just a tube. No No valve. No vents, no valves. And it's just in case when you're looking under a rock and your head gets hung in there, it doesn't rip your mask off. The snorkel has a little bit of give. So when you're swimming against the current as well, it doesn't flap against your face because you can dive down and you can spit your snorkel out and it sits there on the side of your face, nice and streamlined. So it's everything's usually black in color or blue or green. Because you're trying to blend in. You're trying to blend in. So it's camouflage So gloves. Gloves are nice because you're grabbing and holding on to stuff and you're trying to make things not get away and you're loading your spear gun and that hurts your hands if you're not wearing gloves and you're grabbing fish. I can speak to that because I remember when I went, I think I was just snorkeling and you and a friend of ours, was it Jordan? I think it was Jordan. Maybe. We went, I think you guys were spear fishing and I was the fish holder girl. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're a little spike kind of poke you and they got all kinds of pokey teeth yeah spines so i had the bag and they're handing me the fish and i'm sticking the fish in the bag praying i don't get eaten by a shark you'd go ow and you let the fish go and then they get mad at you i think i did actually lose one that way if i remember correctly yeah you don't want to get spiked by a fish yeah so so gloves gloves are good long fins small mask rubber snorkel then you got a weight belt Weight belts can be just a regular weight belt with lead woven into it, and you wear it kind of tight. But it, to be really super comfortable, they make a, a rubber weight belt that flexes with you as you go deeper. Yeah, when you go deeper, it, it contracts so it doesn't roll around on your on your hips and cause a distraction. And when you come up, it your body's kind of expanding when you come back up, and, it, and the rubber sticks to you and expands with you as well. So it's it's a nice rubber weight belt. With, now, little, is there a, with little weights. Is there a difference between the weight that you would use if you were scuba diving versus free diving? Well, you usually put your weights in the BC when you're when you're tank diving or scuba diving. So you would have to get used to wearing the belt. You wear the belt. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to wear a belt of some sort. And it's the rubber ones are super comfortable. You use little one or two pound weights and you can barely feel them. Yep. And a and a rash guard. You just want to be protected, you want to be comfortable, and you want to be streamlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for free diving. And um, talk a little bit about, I know, because we kind of started with talking about the um, the pole spear, and I know a lot of what you do now is with spear guns, and is there anything that people should know as far as size or type or brand or um, just oh, man. T- speak to that a little bit? Oh, you could, you could talk for days about spear guns. Um, give us like usually, the, give us like the semi-beginner intermediate. Yeah, if you've got a beginner gun, you're going to want to maybe start loading it on your hip uh, they make a, a gun as an ab biller well i guess i guess before we go into that you should let, let's just kind of clarify so a spear gun is it's literally a a gun with a rubber pull yeah. back yep some sort thing. of yeah a band or two or three where you just depending on how strong like a crossbow like an underwater crossbow mm-hmm. but and but no but no um no bow just straight no, just bands just bands yeah and so you pull it's almost like a slingshot like you're pulling it back, and the band is what is yep, propelling hook, the hooks into the sh- into the shaft. The shaft has the, the little rivets on it, and then you re- pull the trigger. Yeah, pull the trigger, and, and it releases everything. And the bands, you know, obviously go forward. Yep. And, and the shaft flies out through the sea. I was going to yep. say through the air, but <laughs> <laughs> it sticks the fish, and then you just hand line them in. You just swim up with the fish, or you just pull it towards just you pull and it grab towards it. You. Yeah, pull it towards you. All right, so so I so I totally interrupted you there, but but keep going on about the this. I just want to make sure people understood because I know a lot of people probably have never spearfished or like you know trying to get a visual of what a spear gun is yeah. and does. So that so that makes sense. So um, you were kind of going into beginner versus like an intermediate gun. Yeah, beginner will call it a harpoon gun. They'll come on and they'll come you know come down to Key West and be like, where can I get a harpoon gun? <laughs> like, we're not we're not fishing for whales. Yeah, not fishing for whales. <laughs> yeah, it's a spear gun. 
Um, they're made out of metal, wood, carbon fiber, whatever. So the, the most popular ones are metal or wood. And, and they're like uh, that teak, like yeah, teak mahogany, and um, they can be works of art. You know, there's custom guns. There's just and there's commercial grade, just kind of your everyday, your like everyday. billers and yeah, and those are good guns too. But if you really get serious into it, you want distance and distance. You start shooting on shooting with monofilament, thinner shaft, a longer gun. Usually, get about three times the length of the gun is your kill shot mm. range. So that's how so if you far have a five you can foot be away. Gun, you can shoot a fifteen a fish fifteen feet away. That seems pretty close. It yeah. You they, they don't they don't guns don't fly very far. <laughs> so you I mean you're really having to when you're talking about being stealthy. I mean you're really having to trick that fish into not moving as mm-hmm. you get within fifteen. Yeah, feet you of don't it. seem you do, you're going to swim down there and you're not going to seem like a threat. And a five foot gun is a pretty big gun. Yep pretty big gun i mean i'm five five so a gun almost as long as you mm-hmm. and it depends on if you're shooting horizontal or down you know the line's gonna be it's gonna be of a three wraps on it or two wraps on it and 15 feet is a good shot that's no a, when you say wraps that's a good shot when you say wraps what do you mean by wraps the line wraps around the gun so when the release when you pull the trigger it releases the shaft and a bunch of line flies out with goes it. with it yeah, it goes with it so, so it's you not can like retrieve it, yeah so you can retrieve the shaft very very few times do we free shaft down here because the fish are bigger uh the sand is you get lose the shaft there's all kinds of reasons why you don't really free shaft because you don't want to lose anything you don't want to lose the so fish you could you shoot the, the fish the and it just swim shaft. away with your shaft and it's like an 80 dollars shaft it doesn't make any sense right yeah most most of the time we're shooting with a, a big thing a 400 pound mono on the end so you can retrieve the fish and the shaft mm-hmm and uh, thinking about that mono, that kind of reminded me that time you guys were, um, didn't you have an issue with uh, kind of getting tangled up? How do you keep people safe from from getting that line all? That's, uh, that's one of the that's one of the most dangerous thing is getting caught in your spear gun line because it that's your spatial awareness thing. You got to, after you shoot a fish, a lot of stuff's going on. Mm-hmm. You're just say you were in 20 feet of water. You dive down, you shoot a fish. Did you make sure that you didn't shoot the thing behind the fish did you stick it into a wreck did you hit it did you stick it into a rock or a sponge you know you try to shoot the fish when it's out in the open but sometimes you can't really pick and choose so if you shoot the fish and hit something behind it it's going to pin it to the rock which also means that your shaft is stuck so you're trying to swim to the surface and your fish and your gun is stuck in the rocks so you just have to leave it if it's not long enough to get to the surface, if you're in 20 feet of water, it's normally not going to make it back to the surface. So you'd either have to have a reel or a float line on it to be able to retrieve your gun and your shaft and your fish. And then when you wound dish and you leave it on the bottom. Of course, it's going to attract predators. It attracts things. It attracts sharks, you know, nurse, nurse sharks and goliath grouper and barracudas. So you really got to have your spatial awareness because after you shoot something, things, things try to take it from you. Mm-hmm. Unless you shoot it and it completely if you get a perfect shot you stone a fish it hits its nervous system and you shut the fish down and it kills it humanely and that's um, actually the best way to do it that's the best way to do it aim for a spine or the brain yeah and then you can retrieve that fish swim up with it bring it to you quickly so you don't attract the sharks and the and the goliath grouper because if you were hung in your line and a shark was to take your fish or a goliath grouper was to take your fish, it would take you down with it because you'd be hung in your line. Mm-hmm. So when you're retrieving it, you're not wrapping it around your wrist. You're not going, you know, you're going hand over hand. Making and you've sure. always got your knife with you. And you got a knife on your belt or your arm or your leg. And that's your go-to thing to cut yourself to freedom if you do get stuck in your line sometime. And it has happened. Your gun would get hung up and you have to cut the, you have to cut it loose so you can get back to the service. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's probably the scariest, like, story that you can think of like where you were like wow shit that yeah. that was close yeah we um i took a friend of mine out to the marquesas and we were shooting on some big coral heads it was me and my friend Devin, and we were on a guy's boat and the water wasn't super clear it was clear when you got down to the bottom but halfway down it cleared up but the top half was really dirty so we were shooting hogfish and i could i knew that place was really sharky but there was fish everywhere. So we're shooting big hogfish. I look up and the boat's really far away. So I was like, man, so I, I put put my hogfish in my shirt so I can hold on to them and load my gun and shoot some out. So I went down and saw a really big red grouper. So 
I waited for a good shot. The grouper kind of went out in the open, turned sideways. I shot the red grouper and I went to swim towards it. I'm pulling the line towards me, swimming towards it. And uh, what I thought was my buddy diver, something bumped me on the back of my head and my shoulder as I reached for the grouper and I look up and there's a bull shark going after my fish. This might be the first time I'm hearing this. So... <laughs> So I, um, I may have to have a word with Devin. So I stuck the fish and what's funny is what the red grouper did is it started swimming up. It didn't go into the rock. It didn't go away from me. It swam up at me and up straight up. Like towards you. Towards the sky. Yeah. Towards me and towards the sky, which means it swam into the dirty part. Like I was down in the clear stuff and it swam into the dirty part. So you're down, fish is up. Yeah. I'm down. And you're free diving. Yeah. We're free diving. So I, uh. I shot the fish, and it did this kind of gator roll thing where it swam straight up instead of running into the rocks or going towards freedom. As it swam up, I went to grab the fish, and I thought my friend was trying to grab the fish too, but it was a bull shark, and it bumped me out of the way. The fish came back. I grabbed it, and I, I hugged it. I hugged a red grouper, and I was swimming backwards with the red grouper on my chest, and I looked down, and there's three bull sharks in that green water milling around trying to find the fish that I just shot because they can hear the gun go off they can hear the red grouper making noises and they can smell the blood so now I'm back I'm back to the surface and I'm back in this green water and all I see is sharks milling around I look up the boat was half a mile away really far away I don't know how did you even get that far I don't know why they were so far away I think the other divers needed them probably were going well, they down. probably got a fish and they'd go to pick up the fish. Well, they were going with the tide. I think I stayed on one rock and everybody else was kind of going with the tide. One guy was on tanks and uh, some other free divers were on the surface and they were just not fighting the current. They were just drifting along with it. So what I did is I stayed on that one spot and shot those fish. And what, so I went to the surface. There's, there's sharks around me and I have no way to get this fish out of my hands. And I'm not going to let the fish go. Like you worked really hard to get I it. I worked really hard to get it. And it's actually not the safest thing to do is give it to the sharks because you could be wrapped in your line. And if you, it has my, it has my shaft in it right now. The so fish does. The fish does. I don't ha- I didn't have time to take the fish off there and throw it to them because I'm swimming backwards right now. So I'm dragging my gun. I've got the shaft. I've got the fish. And of course I've got this line wrapped around me, my legs or my So you're now by yourself. I'm by myself swimming backwards with this fish with sharks chasing me (laughs) and they're darting in and out and all I see is mouth and then dart away and then from the side mouth and dart away and these are not small sharks these were nine nine foot ten foot bull sharks they're not messing around they're big they weren't messing around and I couldn't see where they were coming from the water was dirty on top so I um I screamed for the boat I put my hands up I put the fit I took the fish out of the water I was holding it up out of the water and this is heavy. Swimming like, backwards. Not like a little heavy fish. fish. And the shaft and the line and my gun. Swimming backwards. Keep an eye out for these sharks. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs for the boat to come get. And I got the red grouper up. And I could, when I when I had my head underwater, I could hear the boat throttle down. So they were coming my way. So I hear the boat coming. And, I'm and you're probably at tired at this point, oh, too. I'm, yeah, super tired. I'm swimming. I've been swimming backwards for probably 15, 20 seconds now. Um, and which doesn't sound like a long time, but yeah, when you get shark- to be shake, chased by like sharks, sit here and count to 15 quietly and imagine right. sharks kicking, around you. kicking sharks in the face with my fins. Um, so one comes and in and they weren't deterred. Like they're no. Yeah. They were ready for that fish. So I got the fish up, my hands getting tired I'm swimming backwards. So this one, the one bull shark, right as the, bo- right as the boat pulls up next to me, the one bull shark comes up and. Mouth open, I had to stick my fin in its mouth. Is that why your fin is broken? No, that, that's <laughs> why my fin has a big gash, a couple of big gashes on the top of it. It might be because it was broken because I was kind of kicking pretty hard. So I split my fin. But uh, the boat was there, and it was the weirdest feeling having to take my eyes off of the sharks that I've been having my eyes on the whole time to look up to the boat to be able to throw the fish on the boat without stabbing somebody with the shaft and everything. So I took my eyes up and I looked up and all I could think of was, oh man, I just don't grab me in the leg. <laughs> so I, I couldn't see anything. So I just swam around and jumped on the boat. And when I got on the boat, I was, my leg was cramped. My fin was bitten. Like, what do you say to the people on the boat? Are you like, I was like, where were you guys at? And you know, they're like, oh, we're following these guys. I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't even know what I just had to put up with. So 
we knew it was Sharky, but they didn't show up until that very minute. And uh, yeah, that was a close call. Yeah. We've had a couple close calls, but that was probably one of the closest that ones. That was one of the scariest ones. Yeah, that was one of the Actually, as you were telling that story, I do. I do. Because I remember you talking about holding the fish and swimming backwards, and I think maybe I blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's some big sharks out there. That was like, um, it was in the Gulf side, right above Boca Grande, right before you get to the Marquesas. It's just a real sharky area. And I mean, that probably ties into just the fact of how important it is to go with somebody that knows what they're doing, knows the area. Because um, if you don't, you know, A, if you're not an experienced spearfisherman or freediver, and B, you don't know the area, you could really get yourself into trouble if you're not with somebody that, that yeah. can guide you. I've taken people out who, when they sh- when they spear a fish, they left it on the bottom and just swam towards the boat with the fish dragging behind them. And you don't want to do that. And I look, and I look at the person, and they've got a whole bunch of predators behind them just following this fish and as it's twirling through the water there's a nurse shark there's a barracuda over here there's a a goliath grouper over here there's all kinds of things following this fish and they're just swimming back to the boat all willy-nilly not even knowing that these fish are following them so that's it's just a bad practice is to drag your fish back to the boat without without getting it in your hands get it out of the water and get it to the surface than to drag it along the bottom yeah because to be clear i mean the story that you were just sharing about the about the uh, bull sharks that's not a that's not a typical day it's not typical it's just that one area it's a real sharky area it's it it cuts it's where the um there's a split in the islands so it's a main channel it's a it's a shark it's a highway it's a shark highway. highway yeah it's it's known for just being you know real sharky yeah but if you're with somebody that that knows the area and kind of knows you know the the best places to go and to be safe, especially for more of a beginner, then you can you can spearfish yeah. usually yeah. pretty and safely. And the person at the helm has a really important job. If you've got four people in the water and they're all spearfishing, to be able to stay close enough to them to hear them yell, say, hey, got a fish, Woo, come over here. Mm-hmm. And you just throw the fish on the boat and the person either guts it and throws it in the cooler and takes care of it and washes the blood off and then make sure they don't run over anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot going on you think, oh, I'm just going to go drive the boat and relax. Well, it's not relax. It's not. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. A, it's your job. When I've done it, like it's fun, but it's definitely, um, not stressful. That's probably not the right word, but you definitely are like, okay, where's Austin? Where's Rob? Okay. Rob's yeah. over there. Austin's there. You yeah, know. Where's Devin? Yeah. And but when you guys split up, own. it's hard to kind of, you know, prioritize, um, you know, like you said, I mean, if somebody comes up with a fish and you got to run over there and then somebody else comes up with one and you're like trying to get back and forth right. and not run anybody over. Yeah, you're doing, using hand signals. You're like, wait, I'm going to go get this fish. And, and it's not like fish. they have dive flags, individual dive no. flag. I mean, you, the boat has a dive flag so that right. other Everybody's boats. supposed to stay near the boat, but you get you, you get separated. Well, you know, there's and two the people current, over there and there's two people over here. The current takes you a little bit, you know, maybe further than you were expecting mm-hmm. or the boat drifts a little it's bit. It's a little bit of... There's definitely a logistical... Controlled, controlled chaos. Yeah, definitely some logistics to it. If um, there's no fish around, you're not shooting anything, not, nothing to worry about. But when the fish are there and you're shooting stuff and everybody's doing a great job... My favorite part is when you put the chum off the back of the boat <laughs> and all the little... What are they? The little... Chubs. Chubs. <laughs> Chubs and yellowtail. The ch- I felt like the... Um, what is that? The Pied Piper? Pied Piper. Like just driving the boat around. And yeah, there look was, over. There's you've probably got, a thousand, I don't know, how many fish were there? Yeah, you've got hundreds and hundreds of Bermuda chubs following the boat. You had jacks, so you had yellowtail, you had big swimming. yellowtail. These guys are swimming in every direction. I'm like, we got thousands of fish over here. <laughs> yeah, those are the... They don't, they don't want those kind of fish. You don't shoot chubs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just kind of want to touch on too, you know, I want to point out just in case, you know, folks don't realize, I mean, when we're going out and we're spearfishing and you guys are, uh, this is not like a commercial enterprise. This is, we're going out, we're getting dinner for a couple nights and, uh, you know, sharing it with friends. I mean, it's amazing in Key West. You can, you can barter with, uh, fish fillets pretty, pretty handily. I, I actually just managed to, uh, coerce a delivery driver that works for a major company and i needed a package um kind of custom delivered and they wouldn't be able to do it through like their proper customer service channel so i was like i will trade you fresh snapper and mahi fillets if you will do this for me and uh, it's amazing what you can get done with uh with some yeah the barter system what's yeah, well, like you were talking about you just you don't we're not going out and there's regulations you're only allowed one of these fish and you're only allowed one of these fish and there's a season that you have to pay attention to and there's regulations that are just 
they really keep on top of it to make sure that you know the right size they can breed they can grow and be healthy and and not um get over not get overpopulated but not not have not enough in the commercial industries who supplies you with hogfish because it's not the easiest thing in the world to go out and catch a hogfish on rod and reel because they only bite certain things. They only. I don't know that I've ever heard of areas. anybody caught a hogfish on yeah, rod and reel. You can do it. They make certain chum that's not normal chum. It's got more crab or shrimp or, and it's the things that they eat and they will come around. And you have the fish in the area where there's not the other types of little fish that are going to eat your shrimp mm-hmm. or your little crab or whatever you're using. So going into, um, you know, you mentioned like the regulations and stuff. How would somebody know what the size limits are and, and, the, and the areas? I mean, we've talked about that before. Like you can be in one area and a fish be legal. How would somebody keep up with that and make sure they were following the rules? Right. There's apps. I mean, of course, there's magazines. Every every tackle shop you go to has a an updated monthly magazine from the fwc or fish monster or uh coastal angler there's a there's a magazine you can read they don't give you all the information all the time there'll be little ast an asterisk mm-hmm. that'll that'll say read this closer fine print mm-hmm. or go to the fwc <laughs> website and look at this map what was the one it was a special permit area and so you yeah. think oh the permit or special, special here. permit zone which meant no permit here. Yeah, you're not allowed to shoot permit. Not this is the special zone where you get the permit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, usually I mean, the permit's not a. I'm just saying that that would be one example. Yeah, it's one example. Yeah, special permit zone, and it's like okay, when well, it just shows you a colored area on the map, but it doesn't actually tell you how far into the Atlantic it goes. It goes way out into the Gulf. There's all kinds of things that you got to pay attention to. So fishing um, magazines, tackle shops, I, I would assume FWC some of the, uh, website. the FWC website. And I'll link that in the show notes so that people can uh, have quick access to that. Yeah, and you can you can sign up for their email alerts. And every time something changes, they will email you, and it's a great thing. Yeah, how often is it quarterly or monthly, or does it is it just as needed? Like, I is there a, a certain schedule that the FWC will make those changes? A couple times a week. They'll just oh, wow. they'll announce, they'll do an announcement. Like, hey, this is changing, or this is changing, red snapper's changing, you know, so there's all kinds of things that are going on. But if you're not kind of in that mix, like, you're just here for a week, like, what would be the, probably the FWC would be FWC the FWC website, there's a fish rules app, mm-hmm. if you know what body of water you're fishing in, it's a really good app to be, to be, uh, to have on your phone. And then how do you handle that situation where you, you know, you were on the Gulf side and you caught something that's legal on the Gulf side and now you're going to go over to the Atlantic side in the same day? Like, how do you, is there a, is there a best practice for that? I mean, are you technically supposed to come yeah. back to the dock? The, the main issue is there's certain fish that you can shoot out in federal waters. So, for example, there's shooting a triple tail. Uh, if you're out mahi fishing and you can run across something floating in the water like a bucket or a pal or something that has a nice triple tail there. You're in federal waters. You're allowed to shoot, shoot that fish with a spear gun. If you were to take that cooler full of fish that you shot out there and you come in and start going lobstering in the Gulf or you're lobstering in state waters and you're anchored and the FWC comes over, then you're going to get in trouble for having a speared fish that was only able to be taken, in, taken that way in federal waters because they what they do is they... The best practice is to not stop in state waters with mm. that type of fish. So you kind of have to be strategic, and if you know that you're going to be in a certain area, you kind of have to make that like your last stop. Well, but if you're if you're actively coming in, you have to drive through state waters to get home. Right. You, there's it's no the, way around. There's no way around it. So you just can't <laughs> but, stop. But you're not stopping, hanging not, out. And yeah, you're not getting in the water and spearing more stuff. Yeah. Now, so. if you were to come into state waters and, I don't know, just go snorkeling or something. I mean, I don't know if spear fishermen would You'd really probably do that. be okay. Yeah, if you were just sitting in the sandbar. Like you get your family with you yeah, that you're day. sitting in the sandbar or something. Obviously, you're not spear fishing right now. Right. That's but you just went out and shot one and came back. And, for some and the reason. FWC, they're pretty smart. I mean, they've got binoculars that can yeah, see like you tell them, through your soul. Yeah, they'll <laughs> ask you a story. They'll be like, oh, so what'd you do today? Oh, we went out. We went dolphin fishing. I shot this fish. We came into the. Yeah. Then we put all of our stuff away and we came into the sandbar. Technically, he could. You know, you have that fish in state waters, and you're stopped, and technically he could give you a ticket, a citation of some sort. Yeah. So, you have so to be the best practice is if you're going to shoot something that's only shootable in certain areas, you have to just come straight in. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like uh, lots of fun to be had on the water while spearfishing and free diving. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to cover when There's we so sit much here and cover. talk for hours. Yeah. He's saying that he wants to come back on the show. Is that what you're hearing too? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping it up. We, uh, we've definitely gone over a lot and um, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, so I hope all that information was helpful. There's definitely lots of gear and resources that you're going to want to check out. I will put those in the show notes on the website, qsperspective.com forward slash podcast. And if you are going to be in town or you're a local here and you're just going to go out, you need to maybe rent a little bit of gear for the day. Rob actually does dive rentals, scuba tank rentals, spear gun rentals, and underwater uh, camera equipment rentals. So if you want to stick a GoPro on the end of your spear gun, you can do that too. You're on the socials, right? Rentgopros.com or through the Facebook. Spearfishingrental.com. Yeah, spearfishingrental.com. And again, I'll link all that in the show notes. So thanks so much for joining us. I hope you really enjoyed it. And we will see you next time here on the Key West Perspective podcast.